We're going to be having a uh, sort of a special service this morning. Um, We're going to be talking a lot about biblical community and really how uh, we are part of community within this church and within our neighborhoods and really how we can bless and serve one another in those ways. Um, So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to have a couple of uh, friends come up. We're going to do a little little Q&A kind of question and answer of uh, what it's like to be part of biblical community. And then Brian's going to come up and teach a little bit on that. So um, we're taking a little bit of a break from the Gospel of Mark this week, but hope you guys are blessed by uh, what will be shared this morning and, and really empowered and encouraged to um, consider being part of biblical community. So let me pray for us. We'll, uh, we'll get in the Word. Lord, we thank you that you are uh, just a God who uh, you d- yourself dwell in community, and you've designed us, Lord, to... Um, relate to others and to encourage others and to bless others and to you've given us spiritual gifts you've uh, designed us each in unique ways to um, interact with others and and meet their needs and love them and um, we thank you that you've designed that that ecosystem of of relating to others and um, so we want to be part of that god we want to um, be richly involved with um, other people in their lives and we want to um, love others and serve others and We just pray for our time this morning, God, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would um, show us what it looks like for us to be engaged with other people in our our circles, Lord, and um, other people in our life that can encourage us, Lord, those that have gone before us, those that are older, um, those that are younger, that uh, are learning some of the lessons that we may have learned in our past. Um, God, use us and, and show us how you can use us. Uh, as we um, just engage with others and want to be part of this community of uh, disciples to know you more and to love you more. And so we just pray for our time this morning. In your name, amen. So I'm going to ask uh, Christine Zerbach and Cameron Ingalls to come up. Um, as you uh, may have known or heard about over the past few months, we've been uh, really, we've been training community group leaders. Um, that's been part of one of the things we've been doing. We've been um, really just identifying a need within our church to have um, opportunity. You guys can go over this way. To have uh, opportunities and places for people to, to dwell in community and, and relate with others. And uh, we know that, you know, on a Sunday morning we have, there's a lot of faces in here. And um, this, if this was the only place that we could, you know, engage with each other in, in community, then it may not be what we need to be able to be known and to be able to be in relationships with others and be able to share life together. And, and uh, so what we like to do is gather midweek and gather in places where we're in homes and we're in coffee shops or we're at the church or whatever we're doing in a place where we can engage with other people and, and relate to them and get to know them and build relationships. And uh, so we've trained up some new leaders and we have some new community groups that are getting started uh, this week. And uh, so one of the things we're going to be able to do today is uh, have you have an opportunity to consider joining a community group, some of the new groups that have been getting started and uh, relaunching some of the existing groups. And uh, this is Cameron and Christine. You guys may have met them or know them. Uh, these guys are, um, are part of the community group team, and they are helping to both lead groups as well as lead some of the leaders. We have uh, these guys are coaches that can uh, interact with some of our community group leaders and help to guide them as they're leading and growing a a small community of people. So what we're going to do is just get started with a couple questions. I want to ask you guys a couple things about kind of what it's like, um, first of all, to be in biblical community, to be in community with people. So Christine, I want to hear kind of what you would have to say about the way that you've experienced that maybe in your life and what community has meant to you and being part of a church. Definitely. Um, Myself, I've been going to this church for many years, about 15, and I became a Christian through a home group in this church. So my roommate invited me. I came. I didn't know what to expect. And there was a group of people that were very patient with me to study the Bible with me, teach me how to pray, listen to me fumble through prayers, and people that were committed to seeing me know Jesus more. So I know firsthand how great biblical community is. And um, also not only in this church, but I had the experience to see biblical community and, and home groups overseas and being involved um, through church planning through this church overseas um, in Ukraine, seeing new believers come to the Lord and providing a small home group atmosphere for believers to learn to study the Bible together, um, encourage one another, kind of get 
uh, filled up uh, in knowing God and then to return to their homes where they were ostracized and kind of put out for, for becoming Christians and just actually went back a few months ago to visit those believers. And they're doing things like beyond what I, I mean, one of them is like a puppet show. I know that might sound a little bit kind of silly, but like doing like Christian puppet shows, it really works in their culture. But um, yeah, you're like puppet show. Um, but I mean, th those are the type of things that are birthed out of uh, small group environments where you talk and you pray and you get filled with faith and then you go out into your communities and do crazy things like Christian puppet shows. Yeah. So Cameron, tell me a little bit about um, what it's like to be part of a community group. What, what is it like? What kind of things do you do at a community group? Um, it's just a place where you can get together and worship God together, um, read the Word, study the Word together, but also it's a really great opportunity for you to be known and to get to know others and um, be the body of Christ. And it's amazing when two or more are gathered, Jesus is there. That's a really profound phenomena that happens. And, and so when we get together, Christ is there, and we get, to get, we get to know him. So there's this vertical thing that's happening with us and God. There's also a horizontal thing that's happening with us and our peers. And so, um, so there, there's huge benefits to just being in community. And um, I wanted to share a little story real quick about um, something that just has recently happened to me. And um, because of being in community, I was really... Um, comforted and encouraged during a hard time in my life. And, you know, um, the Bible says that we need to exhort one another and encourage one another. And, well, why would we need to encourage one another? Well, a lot of times we get discouraged and we, and we get um, depressed or we feel despair. And just recently, um, I had uh, something bad happen to me in December. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a wedding photographer, so I have a lot of camera gear. And uh, I set it down in my office recently and in, in one room, and I was sitting at my computer on the other side of a wall, and I had my door open because I was about to leave. Well, someone walked into my office and stole $12,000 worth of my equipment, and they just took the bag and walked out. And um, it was just a really big blow, you know? It was a really a, a big bummer. And um, fortunately, we had uh, neglected to pay our insurance payment, and we, our insurance expired a week before. So it was, it was a real tragedy in, in my business and in my life, especially in the in my slower season. So, um, you know, I wanted to be faithful and I wanted to have hope. And I kept saying, okay, let's just see what God's going to do. I believe, you know, he's, he's done so much in my life and in my business to lead me to where I'm at. He's not going to let me, leave me high and dry and he's going to provide. And, and um, yet as the weeks went on, my faith started dwindling, you know, and I got, I got a little, I got um, despair kind of overcame me. And I felt, I felt this oppression and this just uh, grieving and hopelessness. And um, I had a, my old home group leader, I told him about this situation. He's this 80-year-old retired Presbyterian minister. And he just said, uh, that makes me angry, you know. <laughs> and, and this righteous anger filled this man's heart. And he said, you need to pray. You need to pray. You need to get your friends together and pray for this thief that he gets caught and that your stuff gets returned to you. And I just thought, no way. There's no way that's going to happen. You know, I was checking Craigslist and eBay and not seeing anything. And, um, so regardless, I get together with my friends who have a community group on Tuesday nights, and they pray, and they wait on the Lord, and, and I just said, guys, I'm, I'm having a really hard time believing, and, and they just spoke into my life. They spoke words from the Lord as they prayed, on, prayed for me. They had pictures. They had things that encouraged my heart, and they said, you know, you need to trust in God, and you need to look to Him, and, and it's like just hearing that from my fellow believer, you know, even though I knew I needed to do that, but hearing them challenge me and encourage me, that like lifted this oppression that I was feeling and the despair. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to press into God. I'm going to believe and just, just hope. Um, well, anyways, that 80-year-old that guy came over for dinner Wednesday night, and he prayed for me and my wife again. And he just said, and he, and he specifically prayed for the thief, not even for me. He just said, God, I pray that this thief would get caught and that all the stuff this thief stole would be returned to all the owners. And, and, and then he opened his eyes and he said, I believe God's going to restore to you everything that's been lost. And I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but even though he said that, I'm just like, all right, thanks. That's cool, man. I hope so. <laughs> just believing God's going to do something else, you know, or he'll do something eventually or, you know, provide eventually. Well, the next day I went into the office and got a phone call around 9 a.m. from the police department. And um, they said that they caught the thief. 
and, and that they had all my stuff. And it was just, it was intact and everything was perfect. So it was just a huge miracle in my life and in my business. And it just went to show that, you know, God is in control. But even more so that when, when my faith was down, when my hope, hope is gone, like there's other people that were like, I'm going to stand in your spot and I'm going to hope for you and believe for you. And I'm not going to stop praying until we see a miracle happen. And so that's, that's how biblical community is working for me right now. And um, it's just a powerful thing. And so I, I believe in it with all my heart. I've been, I've been in community groups for years and led them for years. And, and I just have seen God work in so many ways in and through me and others. And people get to learn their spiritual gifts. They get to learn to pray for one another. They get to learn to hear from God. They learn what the Word says. They learn what truth is. And um, they get to go out and minister out of that place. So I want to encourage you guys to, to join in something. Yeah, it's really neat. It's such an amazing story. And, you know, that happens to us all the time. Um, we, we face hard times in our life, right? There's, there's difficult things. There's loss. And, and then there's joyous times, too, and great things. And being able to be in community with other people and experience that. And when they're going through a hard time, being able to bless them and then vice versa. It's just such a cool thing. Christine, do you have anything to share on that in terms of how, you know, in community you've seen other people being blessed or yourself being blessed? Yeah, I think Cameron <laughs> nailed it. Yeah. yeah. So, Chris, you represent a few um, mm -hmm. community groups, uh, other gals mm -hmm. and, and even guys in family groups. Tell us a little bit about them and what those groups are like and yeah, that's great. I've been meeting with some of you who are out there who are leading, some of the women who are leading community groups, and they sound really great. So I just want to let you know, uh, we have these papers with all of them listed. Some of the groups, they're going through books of the Bible, going through the book of John together, praying together. Um, some people are going through books like uh, C.J. Mahaney, Humility, Learning True Greatness. Um, so you've got book studies, you've got Bible studies, prayer. I know one gal, she's a new Christian. Her name's Christina. I don't know if she's here. And she's just thrown herself into community here at Calvary Slow. And she's currently going to one of the women's Bible studies on Thursday night who Amanda Ainsworth, she's leading it. And Amanda was just telling me how Christina comes and she has these questions as a new believer that really challenge the leaders because they've been Christians for a long time. And so some of the fundamental questions they've never really thought through. So to me, it's a really neat picture of the mutual edification that happens when you get in community where even a new believer is challenging and strengthening the maybe more mature believers and vice versa. So yeah. um, awesome things are happening. If you're not in community, this is my exhortation. Talk to your neighbor. Like You're not probably going to just show up to a group on your own. It's going to take someone in your life being like, hey, are you involved? Are you in a community group? And so if you are in a community group, invite people to come with you. And if you're not, challenge your friends. I mean, it, um, it takes you taking that step. So you will, you will definitely be blessed. Yeah. Cool. Thanks so much, guys. Mm -hmm. Appreciate yeah, thank it. You. Cool. So, you know, as we think about what it's like to be in community, you know, a lot of times it's the first thing we think is, you know, what am I going to get? And, you know, you're going to get the opportunity to be in relationship with people, to be known, to learn your spiritual gifts. And uh, a lot of times, you know, as you go through that process, you begin to realize, well, what can I give? And we realize that when I give, I get. And when I, that's the way that Jesus designed the gospel is that when you pour out your life and give of yourself and give of, you know, your love to encourage someone, bless someone, help them financially, whatever it may be, that you in turn are blessed with joy and, and you're pouring out. And that's, that's kind of the vision for biblical community. And Brian's going to come up um, and share with us. But it's, it's people, you know, you have 12 or 15 people showing up saying, how can I love and serve and bless you? And when you have that, there's just a really rich experience that everybody has. So look forward to hearing from Brian this morning. Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to do something different, like as Greg had mentioned. We are going to be back in the Gospel Mark next week. But um, t today what we really want to do is we want to focus on kind of casting a vision for what um, community groups are all about and want to explain a little bit about what that is to you guys. But this morning will be more of like a, a teaching really trying to kind of unpack that so that we understand it. And uh, the reason why this is really an important thing, because for one, it really is um, a part of one of our, our, our DNA traits for us as a church. It's one of the things that we consider kind of a core value of who we are, what we want to be, what we want to live like, not just a marginal thing. Community groups are not just simply an event that you go to throughout the week, but it's what we want to be. 
Um, and at the same time, it's one of the central strategies that we really try to emphasize and utilize for us as a church. So that's kind of the main idea that we're going to be looking at. I'll kind of give you a little bit of a course as to where we're going to be going at. So hopefully there'll be some sort of cohesiveness to this morning. Um, but before we jump in, why don't we just pray? We'll ask God's blessing, God's favor, and we'll talk about this type of stuff. And hopefully it'll make some sense to you. And hopefully really at the end of the day, um, it'll be uh, heated as kind of an exhortation that if this is your church, that you would really take some ownership, that you would really pray about how God wanted to use you to go deeper. And that if one of the reasons why maybe you're choosing to not go deeper, one of the, maybe one of the reasons why you're choosing to remain at arm's length or kind of just simply um, a consumer of goods and services but not really diving in deeper, that actually I pray that God would actually convict you this morning that there would be really to some degree some level of repentance in your heart that you would see the benefit of this. It would not be manipulation. It would not be any type of guilt, uh, but that it would be really God motivating us to see a vision for this, that we would live this as a part of really living out the gospel here uh, on the coastlands, on the central coast. So let's pray. We'll get to work. Hopefully a lot of this will make sense. God, we just invite you here. We thank you that you are. We thank you, Father, that uh, your presence is here amongst your people, that this is the way that you choose to dwell. This is the way that you choose to reveal yourself to us as we humble ourselves before your word, as we bring ourselves together in humble submission to one another. God, that you choose to reveal yourself to us uh, in these means in many other ways. But, Father, we pray this morning right now that you would just open our hearts, uh, give us uh, the ability to hear Give us eyes to see. God, give us humble hearts that would be quick and willing and desiring to be changed. Lord, if there are areas in our lives that really are out of um, conformity with your word and they're not properly imaging you in a way that reflects who you are, your greatness, your vastness, your bigness, and your beauty. God, we want to live like that because you're worth it. You're a worthy God to be imaged. You're a worthy God to be reflected in this world. And so therefore, God, we want our lives to be lived in the consistency of that and reflecting that in a proper way. So help us, we ask, and we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, basically, I just got three main things that we're going to be really trying to take a look at, and hopefully it'll make some sense. The first of which is that we're going to really be trying to kind of, we'll, we'll ask questions, and that's kind of the way that we'll look at this. So it's kind of like a fact sheet, uh, frequently asked questions, all right? So the first question is basically this. Uh, really, what's the basis for biblical community? What's the basis for community? Secondly, uh, really, what's the functional benefit for community? So we really want to understand why should we, what, what's the benefit of this? What's in it for you? What's in it for the rest of the body? How is it going to be a benefit to anybody at all? Um, what does the Bible have to say about that? And then finally, what motivates us to this? And so obviously, straight up, I'm going to tell you, uh, what we're not trying to do is to motivate anybody by way of guilt, by way of manipulation, trying to get people to feel bad, therefore they're not doing enough for Jesus, and therefore we want you to feel some sort of weight of feeling really bad, and therefore you end up doing that. That's not a sustainable way. It's not a sustainable motivation. We'll really try to take a look at the main motivation as to really behind all of this, and hopefully it might make some sense. So the first thing, we'll take a look at really what kind of what the question as to what is the biblical basis for community? Um, it, is there a precedent for it? So, we'll first of all begin with the word community. All right, basically the word community comes from a Greek word, um, koinonia. It's a word that's used all throughout the Bible. It's a word that's oftentimes used for fellowship, that people got together, they had things in common. It's the word common we get the word community from. It's really the idea, it's a Greek word, comes from the Greek word uh, koinonia, which means they hold all things together in common. Common ideas, common vision, common mission, common goals, common Lord, um, common future. And so these people in the early church, they had all things in common. And so they united with each other. They uh, joined with one another. And for the purpose of seeking God, worshiping God, doing life together, living together on the same mission for the same purpose. And so that was basically described as koinonia or commonality or community. That's what it was. And so really the idea of community, even though in a lot of ways, it's kind of a buzzword in a lot of cultures and circles today, I should say, in America, in the culture of America, um, it does have biblical precedent. So we don't want to dismiss it just because it might be an overused word or populated in a lot of ways. We really want to try to understand what does it mean, why does it 
uh, have some sort of significance and importance to us? And really, more importantly, are we living it? Or are we just simply being doers of the word? Are we just simply being people that want to uh, hear the Bible, but not really being doers of it, I should say, that all we want to do is just kind of hear stories about the Bible, hear verses about the Bible, hear sermons about the Bible, but not really live it? So what we want, really want to challenge you to do is tr- try to understand the Bible as we're going to try to look at these passages, but really begin to ask ourselves, are we living it? Is it shaping our lives? Is it transforming us? And so that's kind of the idea. So really, what is the biblical basis for community? Um, really, there's two main things that we'll take a look at. One, the biblical basis is that all community begins with God. It's really important to understand this, that all theological discussions or studies of anything, when we talk about the Bible, talk about the Christian walk, has to begin in God. And this is no exception. When we talk about community, biblical community, what really what we're talking about is something that is actually rooted in the very nature of our God. The Bible tells us in uh, Genesis chapter 1 that in the beginning God created all things. In the book of John, the Gospel of John, it tells us that Jesus was actually with the Father creating all things. And uh, we read about the Jesus giving the Holy Spirit, describing him as a him and not an it, that it's not just some sort of power or force that kind of inhabits, you know, you, uh, the, the universe, but actually the Holy Spirit is a him. Jesus is the Holy Spirit, God and the, the Father and, the whole, and Jesus are one. There's a unity amongst them. We typically call that the Trinity. Even though the word Trinity is not in the Bible, the concept is. And so what we want to make certain that we understand is that before all things were, before all things were created, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit existed. There was community amongst them. There was unity amongst them. There was love amongst them. And it's really important to understand this, that when we talk about the concept of community or being image bearers of God or why God created us or how God created us, we have to first of all understand something of the nature and the makeup of who God is, that God is community. God dwells amongst himself in complete harmony, complete love. There's fellowship and joy abounding in the presence of God, the way the psalmist describes. So what God did out of this element of love of who he is within himself, amongst himself, the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Spirit, the Spirit loves the Father and the Son, and there's sort of this reciprocating, loving, ongoing, eternal relationship that's just always there. It's absolutely beautiful. It's absolutely full of joy. The reason why joy abounds is because there's no duplicity. There's no lying. There's no deceptiveness, right, at all amongst the Trinity. And yet, out of the Trinitarian nature of God, God created us in His image. So what that means, and it means a lot of different things, but what it at least means is that God created us to reflect something of who He is, in his nature, that there's something about the way that we were created or how we were created or the purpose for which God created us that is to give back, that is to reflect something of the character and nature of God. And one of the most profound things that this really implies, at least, is that we were created for relationship. It's one of the reasons why the guy who's isolated, living out in the woods, doing nothing except living by himself, eating food out of a can, is really usually not the picture that people describe when they speak of joy. Because that guy's not joyful. That guy is usually to be avoided. He's not the type of guy that most people would consider sending their kids to go hang out with for a weekend. Nut job. Because what happens is when people are isolated and not in community, in extreme cases, people lose their senses. Because we were created for community. We were created for each other. It's one of the reasons why some people, in again, sometimes exaggerated cases, uh, it's one of the reasons why sometimes people jump from relationship to relationship. Is, again, these are exaggerated cases, but because we really repel being single. We repel being alone. We want community. We want to be in fellowship. We want to be in relationship. And the reason why that's a part of who we are, a part of our makeup, is because that's a part of who God is. God created us in his image. So the idea of being in community and being in relationship is a biblical thing because it's rooted in the very nature of who God is. So first of all, we need to understand that biblical community actually begins with God. Secondly, we see that biblical community is actually practiced in the early church. 
I'm going to read a bunch of verses to you, so hopefully you guys all have your Bibles ready to go. If you don't have Bibles, we say this usually every week, that we do have a little rack back there. You guys can grab a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, please take one. We want you to keep it. It's our gift to you guys. We want to make sure that you guys have a Bible. So we're going to read a handful of verses. Uh, I'm going to begin in the book of Acts. Really, that's kind of the main focus that we're going to be taking a look at in a lot of ways, because the book of Acts is sort of the storyline. It's the narrative of what God did in the first century with this thing called the church, that God rescued a handful of people out of Jewish people and out of Gentile nations, and God brought these people together in what we typically would identify or call as the church, and this is a group of people that um, even though they're very diverse, even though they're very different in a lot of different ways, and even though in a lot of them, a lot of ways, many of them didn't have anything in common, yet God brings them together out of all walks of life, out of all nationalities, out of all social economic scales. Um, some educated, some not educated, some can read, some are illiterate, some are very rich, some are slaves, some work for Caesar, um, kind of on the highest levels. Other, others were slaves who worked for Caesar on very low levels point of the matter is, is that what you have here in the early church is sort of this ongoing narrative of this story of what God did in the early church to rescue all these people, to bring them together, and we kind of have this really unique opportunity to kind of peer back 2,000 years and to just kind of get a glimpse. How did the early church do it? A lot of ways, there's a lot of kind of fantasy about this, where a lot of people are like, you know, obsessed with the early church. We want to get back to the early church. As if somehow the early church had it all together, it was perfect, it was sort of this euphoric moment in the life of the history of the church. In a lot of ways, that's not true. The early church was very messy, very broken, very dysfunctional, and yet there are certain elements about the early church that we look at, and I think are really important that are good, and other things that we would look at and say, huh, that looks just like my church. Because in a lot of ways, it is just like your church. It's just a continuation. God's still bringing people from all sorts of different walks of life, all sorts of social economic scales, all sorts of backgrounds. Some are students, some are not students, some are married, some aren't married, some are men, some are female, some, you know, you know, come from all sorts of different walks of life. The point that I'm making is this, is that God brings them all together, and there's a lot of dysfunctionality. But that's to be expected when you get a bunch of different people from a bunch of different walks of life coming together with one thing in common, Jesus, the work of God. The power of the Father work, working in our lives. The baptism of the Holy Spirit empowering us to do what God calls us to do. That's what we really need to understand is that God unites these people together in this particular way for this particular purpose and cause. So we'll read a handful of verses. Hopefully this will make some sense um, as we read kind of these historical accounts, biblical historical accounts as to how God worked in the early church. And hopefully this will make some sense. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says this. And they, that's the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayers. So what we see, first of all, is that this group of people, they gather together, and they listen to the teaching of the apostles. They listen to the teaching of their leaders. In this case, the apostles were the leaders. They were the ones that opened God's word. They were the ones that taught. They were the ones that shared how Jesus was sort of the continuity of the Old Testament, that Jesus was the fulfillment of everything that God had begun, really actually beginning with Adam, that he's the fulfillment of that story, that narrative, and that really the church, who we are, what we're doing, we're a continuation of that, that something that God started from the very beginning that went horribly, horribly wrong by way of sin. Just, but God restored it, God repaired it, that God had done something, he's shown us mercy, that God even though that we have horribly misguided, misled, misdirected, have been a part of the problem of creation because of our sin. And that therefore, because we have been a part of the problem of sin in this world, that we by nature, uh, we are deserving of judgment. We are deserving of wrath. And yet the beauty of what God had done is that rather than bringing wrath upon us, God has established another profound means by which God's wrath, God's judgment can be poured out, and yet at the same time, God can judge sin in us without judging us. God can destroy sin in us without ultimately destroying us. And the answer, God's solution is Jesus. Jesus comes. Jesus bears God's judgment. Jesus sets us free. Jesus rescues us. 
Jesus draws us unto himself. So we're now a community of people that are called out, chosen, saved, uh, ransomed, rescued. You can use all sorts of metaphors, all sorts of motifs, all sorts of idioms to describe what God has done. But the bottom line is this, is that there's a family, and they gather together, and they listen to the apostles. The leaders teach this regular narrative, this regular story to remind them, here's what God's done for you. Here's who you are. Here's what we're called to do. Here's what we're called to be in this world now that we're ransomed, now that we're redeemed, now that we're saved. Does that make sense? So, so they submitted themselves to the apostles' teaching, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship. They gathered together. They loved each other. They enjoyed some sort of element of commonality. They broke bread. Uh, a lot of you know, uh, interpreters of this, interpretations of this are, this is the uh, celebration of the communion. It could be that, but also it could just simply be a meal. They gathered together and they had barbecue. They got together. I mean, there's something absolutely beautiful about gathering around meat. And I think the early church knew that as well. They're like, meat, let's hang out, barbecue, let's do it. And it's just beautiful. And so the reality is, is that they gathered around food. They gathered around prayer. They gathered around teaching God's word. And it was really just a beautiful time in which they united. And it says in verse 43, it says, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the needs to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this is a group of people that, in a lot of ways, probably didn't look much dissimilar to us. But the point of the matter is, is as they gathered together, as they heard God's word taught, as they prayed for one another, as they served one another, as they took care of each other's needs. I love this. It's one of the reasons why we do things like we do as far as, you know, bake sales or tamale drives or whatever you call those things, tamale run, I don't know what you call it, tamale fundraiser. It's because we have people that are in this church that have needs. We want to help them. We want to bless them. We love them. They're our family. Not biologically, but spiritually. We love them. And can you imagine, I mean, think about that. If, if you were in a family even though it was not your biological family, but a group of people that really loved you. I mean, they were willing to go out of their way to demonstrate love tangibly, to show up at your house and bake you muffins and make you food and mow your lawn and pay your bills if you had deficits in your life or you couldn't handle certain things like that. Wouldn't you want to be a part of that community? Amen, right? I mean, that's the bottom line. We want to be a part of that. Because in reality, that's love. That's what love is. It's one of the reasons why a lot of times people tend to be turned off by church. Because sometimes, sometimes churches, which are full of redeemed sinners. Okay, you got to know this. Like All churches are full of redeemed sinners. The good ones as well as the bad ones. Is that it's very potential, very easy for us to get off track. For us to start focusing on secondary non-issues. We start making things that really don't have anything to do with salvation, big, major controversial, controversial issues, and we argue about things, and it gets ugly, and there's no prettiness, there's no beauty there, there's no care, love, consideration, and it, people become very hurt and wounded. But the reality is, is what I'm trying to say, is that maybe that's what you came from, maybe that was what your experience was, maybe you were part of some form of church, spiritual abuse. All of those are bad, and all of those are basically disintegrations of something good that God wants to do. In other words, it doesn't have to be that way, but through repentant hearts, through humble people, we can see God working in a beautiful way, whereby, just like in the Trinity, it's something that's beautiful, that draws us in, that God welcomes us into it, that the church can be a place like that. It's like a refuge. It should be a place where people feel loved and cared for and served, and that's the idea. That's what was happening in their church. It was beautiful. And I think all of us, if we looked at that and we saw that as an idealistic type of a way, we'd all want to be part of that because all of us would love to be part of something that's full of love. And that was really what was going on in that setting. Acts chapter 5, verse 42 says this. Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ Jesus uh, is Lord. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 20 says this, I do not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. 
So there's a theme that we see throughout the early New Testament church, particularly, like I said, in the narrative of the book of Acts, is that there are two major ways in which the group of believers met. They met daily in the temple. Now, again, back then, culturally, they would have daily times where they would go to the synagogue or go to the temple, and they would kind of hear God's word. And so they were part of that system, that structure, where they would meet together, gather daily in the temple, but then they would also gather house to house in each other's homes. So what we really kind of glean from this and look at this is we see that there is a value and a benefit to larger group gatherings, like what we do here on Sunday mornings. The reason why we do it Sunday mornings is because this is the day that Jesus rose again from the dead. So we celebrate Sunday as the first day of the week of Jesus rising again from the dead. So we, we celebrate that. That's why we meet on Sunday, not, you know, Tuesday night. I mean, we could meet on Tuesday night because really any day is fine. There's no mandate that says you have to meet on Sunday. But we just choose to meet on Sunday because we want to celebrate and remember what Jesus did by rising again from the dead. So we gather together as a large group. And there are unique benefits to gathering together as a large group, right? You've got child care. So you, if you're a parent, you can actually come in here for an hour and a half and let your kids be taken care of and be taught God's word in a way, that, in an environment where it's full of loving people that care for them and tend to them. And you can come and hear God's word yourself and worship. And we can have, you know, kind of a, a whole band up here on stage. And we can enjoy the music and it's beautiful. And there's something amazing about getting a bunch of voices together to sing. And there's just something beautiful about this. And we love this. I love this. But at the same time, there are deficiencies to this. Just as if there are going to be some deficiencies to even a smaller group. But the point of the matter is, is the early church gathered together as large gatherings, as a large group of people, but they also gathered together on smaller groups, smaller gatherings. I would go so far as to say, even though the Bible doesn't necessarily say, you have to do it exactly like this, I think it would cause us to realize that this is the way the church did it. It's not mandated. It doesn't say you must meet in large gatherings on Sunday morning at, you know, 9, nine o'clock and 11 o'clock or 11 o'clock. You know, you know, you just have to, it doesn't say anything like that. And, but what we do observe is that the church did it. They met large gatherings. They met small gatherings throughout the week. So what we want to say is that I feel like as far as larger gatherings, we do that fine. We do that well. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that gather here on Sunday mornings. But oftentimes what we may not do very well are the smaller gatherings. Now, the upsides of larger gatherings I just mentioned, the downsides are is that it's very easy to become anonymous in a crowd. It's very easy to just kind of slip in and not have anybody know who you are in a larger group like this. It's easy for you to have stuff that you're going through in your life and not really feel cared for or feel loved or feel as if someone went out of their way to show or demonstrate kindness and affection to you. It's easy to just be part of a crowd, become part of a large group of people, and not really get to know other people's names. So what I'm trying to say is that even though there are benefits to this, this cannot be really the sum total of all of your spiritual discipline, your spiritual involvement. Just like the early church, they, again, met large groups, they met in smaller groups. And so what we are really trying to use as a strategy is that this is where our community groups come in, our smaller groups come in where we want to see people gathering together throughout the week. And it's not just simply another sort of like sub-event. Okay, this is what we want to make sure, is that community groups don't just simply become another sort of midweek event, but that they actually become your life. They become people that you do life with, that you spend time with, you talk to, you, you help out. When someone is in need or someone is going through a tough time, you're there for them. And we've seen that happen so many times in this church, it's, it's just, it's amazing. It's, it's humbling, to be honest with you. I mean, we talked a little bit earlier about uh, Michelle Whitaker. That's a perfect example. They're super involved in a community group, all right? And what had happened was, obviously, when the whole thing took place, it was amazing. Within the, the very first phone calls that Greg, the dad, made was to the leaders within that group. Hey, my daughter was in a severe car accident. Can you come help? First phone call. And... What happened was it started a chain of other phone calls and emails and dialogue amongst others within the group and then beyond the group to really rally together and say, we need to figure out how we can bring meals. We need to figure out how we can pay and take care of some bills. We need to figure out how we can take care of the dog that's at home. We need to do what we can to somehow figure out ways to come alongside this family to love them. It all started within a community group. Because it's not just another event the way Sunday morning 
is an event or can be an event, but it's a lifestyle whereby you bond yourself, you bind yourself, you unite yourself together with other believers, and you love them, you serve them, you pour your life out for them because you love them, because you know that they love you. It's like a covenant. So that's the idea. Now, what I want to say, that's the way that the early church, I think, saw this, because they saw themselves as part of a covenant family. They're part of a covenantal family. A covenant, not so much that they're making to each other, but a covenant that they were brought into by Jesus making on their behalf. Jesus did something on their behalf, brought them into this thing, and therefore they valued, they valued this family, they valued the covenant, they valued the community, and therefore they took it seriously, and they loved one another, they served one another, took care of one another. So that's really the idea here that we see kind of what is the biblical basis for this. We see that biblical community begins with God. Biblical community is practiced throughout the early church. They meant large groups. They meant small groups. We want to really try to model that same thing and strategically do the same thing to get involved in small groups. We've got a lot of different small groups that are available. There's at least three ways that you can get involved in one. Because some of you might be like, how do I get involved in one? I'll just tell you that right now. At least three ways. We have a flyer that should be out on either side. Um, it's got all the community groups in there right now. You can get involved in one of those. You can call or email them. All the emails are on there. You can email them, find out uh, one that's where it's uh, located near you. We've got, we got them in Slow. We've got them in South County. got them in North County. I've got them all over the place. There's some that meet in the mornings. There's some that are mainly for just dudes, some that are for women, some that are for uh, married couples, some that are for families. They're all over the place, all shapes and sizes. And the reason why some of you, you know, they're, they're in all shapes and sizes because all of you are all different shapes and sizes. All right? It's just a fact. And so the reality is that either one, you can find one, and if you are kind of type A personality, you will email them yourself, and that's great. Uh, the second way in which you can do that is the, there's a little flyer that should be right next to those that basically just is asking you for some information. It's like your name, your address, and your phone number. You turn that in, and we will have somebody actually help you get in contact with the community group so that if you're kind of like, ah, I don't know if I should email this person. I don't know which one's right. That's fine. We'll take the guest work out of it for you. You don't have to think. You don't have to spend any energy. We'll help you because we want to create ways that can make it as easy for you. So you can fill out that little flyer that's there. Or you can go online on our website. Actually, on our website, this is probably the easiest way. Just go on our website, and there's also an online form, just like the one that's print version. But this one gets right sent to the people that are involved with this, and they'll get in contact with you. And they'll help you. They'll help you find a community group. They'll basically help kind of usher you, guide you, coach you into a right fit for you. So those are one of three easy steps that you can take to get involved in the community group. So we try to make it as easy and available for you as as possible. All right, second question is this. What's the functional benefit of community? What's the functional benefit? I'm going to go through these very quickly. There's mainly at least three of them that we'll take a look at. One, belonging. Belonging, Cameron actually mentioned this uh, when he was sharing. Belonging. Uh, This is a really important thing. I'll read a handful of verses. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 says this. Put away falsehood and let each one of you speak truth to his neighbor. For we are members one of another. We're members of one another. Some of you are like, I don't really feel too close to a lot of people. Well, let me put it this way. Sometimes people come into a Sunday morning gathering and they're like, I I, I expect people to come to reach out to me to say hi to me. The funny thing is is that sometimes, because we have so many people coming in this church on a regular basis, a lot of times the people that you might be sitting next to, expecting them to reach out to you, ironically, they're thinking the exact same thing as you. So you're judging them like, they're not reaching out to me. Well, they're judging you. You're like, really? Like, what do I do about that? What you do about that is ask God to help you so that, you would see the benefit, the reality that you, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, you love Jesus, you are a member of a family. You're part of a family. It's one of the reasons why Paul says here, don't lie to each other. What, is, what does lying do? What does lying do to a community of people? Let's say a marriage. What is lying? What, is if, a, what if a husband lies to his wife? What does that do to a marriage? It totally crushes any form of trust. It, it breaks the entire fabric of unity and fellowship amongst that, that couple. So what Paul is saying here, kind of same fashion, when you're in a community, when you see that you are a member of one another in a family, when you lie to each other, you actually break apart the very fabric of that community, that DNA. You begin to disintegrate it. You begin to destroy that fabric of that fellowship. 
God bless you. And the point that I would make is this, is that when, when that happens, you begin to destroy and see something unravel that's intended to be put together so that it would help put other people's lives together because we are a member of one another, that there's a sense of belonging. So people come in here and they're like, you know, I don't feel like I belong or it's clicky. I hear people say that periodically. It's clicky. Look, let me say this. All of us, I don't care who you are, belong to a clique. The reason why you're frustrated if you come in and you're like, it's clicky. It's because there's a clique that you're not a part of that you really want to be a part of. I don't care who you are. We are always going to kind of the birds of a feather flock together. There's nothing wrong with having a group of common friends that we connect with. But the problem is, is when that group of friends basically says we're closed, put the sign out on the door saying we're not accepting any applications for new friendships at all. So bail, leave, and that becomes troublesome. That becomes difficult. But at the end of the day, we are looking for a place of belonging. That's what the body of Christ does. It takes people that once were not part of God, and it gives them a place of belonging in the heart of God. So Paul says, 1 Corinthians, one of the great passages about gifts of the Holy Spirit, things of that nature. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Um, He says this, the body is one and has many members, and all members are of the body are are one. So it is with Christ. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. So Paul is basically making this analogy that a human body, uh, even though it's one body, uh, has many different members. And he goes through this great lengths to kind of, in a lot of ways, kind of use her hyperbole to describe you know, the body's not in some sort of a civil war. Like the hand is not whacking the head and saying, I hate the head. I hate that. You know, it's like, that'd be kind of weird. But if, if that were to happen, that's, that's not good. It's not a good body. It's not a healthy body. Unfortunately, that's the way sometimes things can work. But Paul's saying we're members of one body. There's a unity there. And the head of that body happens to be Jesus. He's the head of that body. So you don't separate the head from the body. You know that Jesus loves the church? He loves the church. I know we can sometimes have excuses to be like, I love Jesus, but I don't really love the church. Look, let me tell you something. I'll just be really straight up honest with you. That is absolutely offensive to Jesus. All right, if you came up to me, you're like, you know, Pastor Brian, I like you, but your wife, man, I don't like her. Like, we're a package. I'm sorry. What you just said is you looked me in the eye and said you don't like me. Like, if you don't like my wife, you're actually saying you don't like me. We're one. We're a package deal. It's the same thing with Jesus. He's like, my body is a package deal with me. You can't separate me from my body. So the reality is, is that this concept of belonging, you belong to Jesus. You belong to his people that have been, all been equally ransomed by the same precious blood of Jesus. So there's a sense of belonging. Another great passage that you guys can read on this on your own time is the one that's also written up there, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 27 to 31. It's a great passage. I encourage you to read it on your own time. You can write it down. Uh, basically what he's describing at the end is he finishes with this thing. He's like, look, uh, it's in community as being members of one another that we learn to use our gifts amongst each other, learn to use our gifts for one another, to edify one another, to help one another. And different gifts are basically discovered within the context. This is one of the beautiful things about biblical community is that we learn how to use our gifts. Some of you guys are teachers. Like God's gifted you as teachers. You should be using that gift to teach. Some of you are gifted with hospitality. You know what you need to do? You need to be opening your house on a regular basis because people like me need to have a nice place to go where we can get good food and a clean house. Like, people love hospitality. You should be using that gift. Some of you guys have gifts of just words of knowledge. God speaks to you. He gives you visions, gives you ideas, gives you thoughts about other people. You need to be figuring out some way in which you can be using that gift in a community sense where it's, fellowship one-on-one where you can be speaking into people's lives. That's, this is the whole point that really Paul is trying to say. We discover our gifts in these smaller pockets of belonging. But then Paul even goes on to say, really at the end of this passage right here, the greatest gift we learn about is love. Do you know, let me put it this way, you cannot learn love apart from community. Do you know that? Some of you be like, I love Jesus and I love his body. Like, are you part of a community? Like, no, I never hang out with other people. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you, you don't know what love is. You don't. You don't know what love is until you've met that person that's incredibly unlovely. And yet you learn to love them. 
You don't know what love is. You think you do, but you don't. You learn love by being in the context of unlovely people and unlovable people. And yet you learn by God's grace how to love them. That's why Paul says, really in the context of the body, the greatest of these is love. We learn to love each other when we see a bunch of dysfunctional people who are equally ransomed and equally sinful and yet equally loved gather together in the name of Jesus, our King, and learn to live life together, learn to do life together, learn to serve one another, even when it's very hard to even care for the people that we're trying to serve. So with that, two more things that we learn with regard to this is also discipleship. Discipleship actually happens best in these smaller settings. Jesus had 12 apostles, and amongst these 12 apostles, Jesus had three main guys or four main guys that he chose to invest in on a regular, consistent basis. Discipleship happens. We have, we have an amazing—I I, I love our church. I love our church. I love you guys. I lo- what I love about our church is we have this really big range of ages, like very young people all the way to, you know, not so very young, and, and yet— and, and, everything in between. And the point that I'd make is this, is that some people haven't yet figured out the beauty of that. They're just, they come and they're like, ah, oh, there's lots of young people. And, or some young people are like, ah, oh, there's some older people. And, and the value, you haven't seen the value of it yet. You haven't seen the value of it yet. Because once you see the value of it and you begin to realize, wait a minute, as an older person, maybe you're in your, in your mid-50s or 60s, you've got a lot to teach younger people. I mean, let me, just, let me just say this real quick. The number one unreached people group in America today aren't Asians or African Americans. You know who it is? It's young people between ages of 18 to 30. Do you know that our church has six, over 60% of people that fit that demographic? Over 60% of people that fit that demographic. For some reason, God's bringing people here that fit that unreached people group. God's doing something here. If you're an older person, this is a mission field for you in your own home church. You don't have to go out to Ukraine. You don't have to go somewhere into the other ends of the world. You have a mission field in your own church family that you, if you can open, you can see the vision for this, you can open your life up, open your heart up, and begin to realize there are hundreds and hundreds of people between ages 18 to 30 that are just looking for someone to invest in their life to be a disciple. Some of you get it. Some of you are just absolutely clueless to it, and I pray that you would get it. I pray that you'd see that. It's an amazing opportunity to pour your life out for other people. I talk to people all the time, young students, young age people that are just like, look, I, I would just love someone I can just watch. Like, you know, my, my wife has a lot of girlfriends she talks to, and this one gal in particular, she's like, all, all I want, I just want to see how you raise your kids and like how you do homeschool with them and how you shop and, and budget your groceries and just I just want to see how you do life and how you do it in a in a way that honors God. Do you know that that's the gospel? That that's called disciple making. That's what Jesus did on a regular daily basis. That that's how discipleship works. Uh, thirdly, multiplication, multiplication. It becomes the, the, the main area in which the church actually begins to grow. Do you know that God actually cares about things that grow? God wants things to grow. Healthy things grow. Healthy babies grow into young children. Young adults should grow. Healthy young adults should grow into healthy adults who have healthy functioning relationships, who one day are going to get married and have healthy functioning marriages, who one day are going to have healthy functioning kids, who... One day are going to have healthy, functioning grandkids that all love Jesus, even though they're not perfect, they're not doing everything perfect all the time, but they're walking in humble obedience to God, wanting God to work in their lives. And, and it multiplies. That's how the church grows. And God cares about churches that grow. And we see that handful of verses, Acts chapter 241 says, and they received the word and they were baptized and they were added that day, around 3,000 souls, Acts 2.47, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In Acts 5.14, he says, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes, both men and women, were added to God. So the church began to grow. God wants to grow this church. 
And I think one of the ways that God wants to grow this church is not just by simply filling in seats on a Sunday morning. I mean, that's awesome, it's fun, it's great, but God wants to grow this church by filling people's homes throughout the week, filling people's homes with new disciples, just like Christine Zerbach had shared. That's how she came to meet, met G, meet Jesus, was in a community group. Someone invited her. She met Jesus in that community group. She got saved. She started getting discipled by someone in this church, in this church. She ended up going on the mission field, being sent out by this church. Spent, I don't know, seven, eight years in Ukraine as a missionary from this church. Came back a few years ago and has been actively involved. That, to me, is exactly what we want to continue to see in people's lives. That's multiplication. That's, that's, how, that's how it works. All right, so there's a flip side to all this or a dark side to all this because the reality is that some of you are like, I'm in it. I want to do this. I'm going to be part of this. Others of you are like, no, I'm not interested. I want to do it. I just want to be a consumer. You might not say that, but that's functionally how you oftentimes can operate. So let me ask you this, audience participation, what are some of the reasons why, either spoken or nonverbal reasons, why people don't get involved in what I'm describing here? Why? Why do people typically just opt for like a Sunday morning big service where they can just show up but never really delve deeper into other people's lives or other deeper relationships. Why? What are some of the reasons? Verbal, nonverbal reasons. I'm sorry? Uncomfortable? Yeah. Fear? Lazy? Yeah, sure. What else? Judgment? Don't want their life exposed? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all those. Any, anything else? Busy? Definitely busy. We can think of a lot of reasons. Um, I think all of those are, 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 I mean, no one's ever going to be like, I don't want to go to a community group. I don't want to, you know, hang out with other people because I'm ashamed and I don't want my life, my sinful life to be exposed. No one's ever really say that. It's kind of one of those nonverbal ones. But the reality at the end of the day, I think what ends up happening is that people do that. They don't want to get involved because for whatever reason, they're afraid or they're very insecure. And what I'm trying to say is that all of these things, do we not have a God that's big enough to overcome all of these things? Do we not have a God that's big enough to help us to get through our sin issues and our fear issues and our insecurities and a God who's big enough to cleanse us and wash us and a God who's big enough to provide for us a group of people that rather than judging us for our shameful behavior, our sinful behavior, but rather will rally around us and support us and to pray for us and to offer their lives down for us as a means of helping us move and grow towards righteousness and holiness. That's the type of God that I, I have to believe, I hope you believe in, that is able to work and harness what God is doing in this church to help create healthy people who love Jesus, who are part of a humble community of people trying to follow God and live out the gospel. But like I said, the dark side is when we just simply say, I don't want to do this. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 says this, Now let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some is the habit of some, but encourage one another. So the reality is, he says, we should be gathering together, but some are just not. It's the habit of some. They're not doing this. They're not uniting. They're not purposefully getting together with others to pray, to open their hearts, to really allow their lives to become used by God to benefit and bless other people. Here's another one. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says this, If we say that we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So the point of the matter is, is that walking in light is really equivalent to walking in relationship with other people. Because here's what John says. If we walk in the light, as he's in the light, it's funny, he doesn't say, we have fellowship with God. He doesn't say that. But he says, if we walk in darkness, we don't have fellowship with God. But if we walk in light, wouldn't you think he would say, we have fellowship with God? He doesn't say that. He says, if we walk in darkness, you don't have fellowship with God. But if you walk in the light, you have fellowship with God others. Why? Like, why does he say that? Because what happens is when we walk in darkness, we don't want to be in fellowship with other people. We run from other people. We, want, we run from relationships. We run into superficiality. We have community, but it's not biblical community. We just hang out with people. We never allow people to really get past the initial superficial layer of our lives to get down deep into our hearts of what's really going on and to allow ourselves to be exposed for the purpose of being transformed by the gospel. So I want to finish with this, kind of asking the final question. Um, what's the motivation for biblical community? Really, again, like I said, it's not somehow to guilt people into this. Those are motivations. They work. They really do. I mean, I can sit here and I can guilt you into this, but it won't work. It won't help you. You'll go with a resentful heart. You'll go 
in, in, a, in, a, in a way that it doesn't change you, doesn't move you, doesn't transform you, and it doesn't work. Because at the end of the day, you just become bitter and you spread bitterness all around. But a true motivation is this. Really, the question is, is why would we even want to open ourselves to others, especially knowing that we may have nothing in common with them and that they may even hurt or offend us? So why? The simple answer is this. Because this is exactly what God has done with you. You need to know this. You're like, I got a lot in common with God. Really? You're a sinner. God's perfect. Like, show me, show me where these lines cross. Or I'm, I'm, I'm missing it. We have nothing in common with God. Right? Like, we, we don't love God with all of our heart. We don't honor God with all of our heart. God has nothing in common with us in that sense. And yet God crosses, crosses you know, eternity to come into our world to hang out with us, and he's got nothing in common with us. And you're like, you know, God accepted us. Now, how did God accept us? Were we his friends? Were we like begging him? No, we, the Bible tells us, we were enemies with God. And so God comes to people that he's got nothing in common with who are actually hostile towards him, and he befriends us. And on top of that, Jesus says what God has done is he brings us into the unity, the fellowship of the Trinity. That place where there's joy forever, the Trinity. Jesus even says to his father in John chapter 17, he says, Father, make them one as you and I are one in the same joy that we have celebrated throughout all eternity. You know what Jesus is saying? Is that the mystery of all mysteries, that what God does is he brings us in, not elevating us to some level of Godhead. We will never become gods, but we get the joy, the honor, the privilege of enjoying the benefits, the joy, the beauty of what God has always enjoyed. He lavishes that on us, and we were formerly enemies. He lavishes that upon us, and we had nothing in common with him. Can you imagine if we became that church, living that lifestyle with other people that we have nothing in common with, acting that way towards people that may or may not hurt us, people that we may or may not even like, but yet displaying the gospel in our actions, and our attitudes in that way. Can you imagine how profoundly powerful that would be? That's all I'm saying. And I pray that we would live that, that we would be that. What I want to do right now is I'm going to have the worship team come on up. We're going to sing some songs to close. And what I want to encourage you that if you are, uh, if you have your kids in children's ministry, you can please feel free to invite your kids. Go pick them up. You can bring them in here and uh, have them worship with you. You can partake of communion together. If you do bring your kids in here, we welcome that. But please just make sure that you watch your kids. Please really just make sure, uh, obviously in a, in, a, in a larger group like this, that you would just hold on to them. If you feel as if they need extra special care, we have a little back room back there. You can go back there. Um, it has a big window on there. You can still see in here. Um, but just be, be courteous to other people around you. Um, but what I want to do right now, if there's people here right now that have already started a community group, you're going to be part of a group of launching these community groups, or you are either leading one or you're currently involved in a community group. What I want to do is I, I kind of want to just commission you guys. I want to pray for you. Um, if you are leading community group or are currently involved in one right now, um, either leading or just part of going to one, why don't you stand up where you're at? I, just, I want to see who you are part of a community group within Calvary Slow. I know there's a lot of other small groups around San Luis, but just particularly San Luis, uh, particularly our church. Um, you're involved in one. You're leading one. Cool. Yeah, just stand up. All I want to do is just pray for you, commission you guys, and just pray that God would use you guys because I want you guys to look around. There's a lot of people in this church that are currently not involved in one. Um, this is an opportunity. It's kind of a, an opportunity to reach out to those that are around you. Um, so I want to pray for you guys right now, um, kind of commission you, and then we're going to sing. God, right now, I just pray for those that are standing, those that are currently involved in a community group, those that are living this. Pray, Father, that you would just empower them, enable them, use them in a profound way to reach, to love, to serve, to joyfully lay their lives down for one another in their group. And to also catch a vision to see, God, there's a lot of other people that maybe you want to bring in, people that maybe are even in this building right now that aren't even Christians yet, that you want to save and the means that you want to save them by someone inviting them into to their group to share the gospel with them, to love them, to disciple them. So God, I just pray for a commissioning right now to, in an empowering 
right now to come upon each of these people. I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. You can be seated. Um, I want to. I want to finish one, with one last thing. So, if there's anybody here right now that, um, throughout the course of this this talk, maybe you thought I'm not in community, but I but I need to be. Maybe God's convicted your heart. Maybe He's shown you. Maybe you're not a Christian, and in in your heart you're just like I I, I want to be part of that. I want to join that. Or maybe you are a Christian, but you really honestly you've, you've not been living in obedience. You've been kind of staying away. You've been pushing people away, maybe because it's sin, maybe it's because of another, you know, handful of reasons that you might have. Um, maybe you've been hurt by others in the past, and, and it's caused you to kind of steer away. But throughout the course of this, you've, there's just something that's resonated in your heart that said, I want to be a part of this. I want to do this. If that's you, like I said, whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian, and you, and you feel like you want to be a part of that sense of biblical community. Um, I just want you to stand right where you're at. I know some of you, might, God might be stirring your heart. Cool. It's awesome. I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray that God would, would enable you and to help you, guide you. Anybody else, just stand right where you're at. Just all I want to do is pray for you. It's cool. Thanks for standing. It's good. I want to pray for you guys um, that God would, God would really just do something profound in your life, that he'd help you to get connected somewhere that you can grow. And we're going to sing. So, Father, right now, I just pray for these that are standing. You love them. You love them. And you want to shower blessings upon them. And the way that you want to shower blessings upon them is is oftentimes through your hands and through your feet, which is the body, the body of Christ. That's us. We can't go looking elsewhere. That's us. We have to look at ourselves and realize that this is who you've commissioned to do this. So, God, I pray that you would just help each of these people to find a sense of belonging, a sense of love some area of community within this church. So God, even right now as we worship you, pray that you would help us to realize that everything that we talked about here this morning is on the basis of the cross, what you did for us, Jesus. Your body was broken for us so that we who are broken can be made whole. Your blood was spilled and poured out for us so that we who have our lives constantly being poured out can be replenished. That's why we partake of communion. That's why we remember Jesus. That's why we love you, Jesus. So we're going to sing. We're going to worship. Invite you guys to be part of that.